Well, howdy. All right. Hey, it's uh, so good to be back at Community of Faith. I love this place. And it has been a while, but I'm glad that we get to reconnect today. I want to start by telling you this. Uh, one thing that I've realized about myself is that I love to quote movies. Like movie quotes just make their way into everyday conversation for me. Like when I was growing up, my brother and I used to love to quote the movie Back to the Future. And I don't know if you've seen Back to the Future. If you haven't, you are out of it, okay? You need to go see it. It'll change your life. It is, it's fact. It's the best movie that's ever been made. So you probably need to see that. But uh, there can be times where we're joking about asking out a girl and we would say something like, I'm your density. I mean your destiny. You know what I'm talking about? It's a killer line. So it was Back to the Future. And then when I got into college, the movie that my friends and I all loved was a movie called Dumb and Dumber. And if you haven't seen Dumb and Dumber, you probably don't need to see it, but uh, you can. But we would be walking around campus, and if my friends and I found ourselves in a conversation where there was a lull and there was really nothing left to talk about, we would quote Dumb and Dumber. One of us would inevitably say, big gulp, say, well, see you later. And we would just walk up. That's what they did in the movie. But now that I speak a lot, one of the, the movies that just continually makes its way into my talks is the movie Braveheart. And I've actually quoted Braveheart before here at Community of Faith, and I want to do it again. Because there's this line in the movie Braveheart that has everything to do with what we are talking about this morning. There's this very serious moment in Braveheart where William Wallace declares this. He says, every man dies, not every man really lives. I'll say it one more time. He says, every man dies, not every man really lives. And I love that quote because of what he is suggesting. He is suggesting that dying is inevitable, but living is not. Dying is inevitable, but living is not. And if there's one thing that I know about every single person in this room, no matter who you are or where you stand spiritually, whether you're spiritually growing or spiritually skeptical, whether you're religious or irreligious, every single one of us in here is after the same thing. Every single one of us longs for a life that is truly satisfying and full. That's what we all want. Nobody here aims for mediocrity. Nobody goes to college and says, you know what, I want to have a mediocre experience and make a mediocre GPA so I can graduate with a mediocre degree and I want to get a mediocre job and then I want to uh, find a mediocre spouse and let's buy a mediocre home and raise mediocre kids. Nobody here aims for mediocrity. But if William Wallace is correct, then the reality is that many of us in this room will go through life and die but never truly live. And what I want to do is I want to tell you this morning what I believe is one of the main reasons why many of us will go through life and die and, and never truly live. And that reason is that there will be something broken in our lives and we will never allow Jesus Christ to step in and heal it. Here's what you need to know. If you were to take this book and you were to read, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the Gospels, what you would see over and over and over is that Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is in the business of healing that which is broken. So, 
if you want to be one of those people who goes through life and not just dies, but truly lives, then I promise you, you will have to become acquainted with Jesus Christ as healer. And it all begins with you answering the question that Jesus asks in John chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, join me this morning in John chapter 5. That's where we'll be. John chapter 5. Here's what you need to know. If you were to spend some time reading the Bible, you would see that Jesus loved to ask questions. He loved to ask questions. And his questions weren't just intended for the people in his immediate audience. No, his questions are intended for every single one of us. So here we go. Look with me. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The first three verses are just going to kind of set the scene for us. It says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So we, we get the scene. Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, and he finds himself at the pool of Bethesda, and the author John gives us some insight into the pool of Bethesda. He says that it is a gathering place for invalids. That word invalid is a general term that refers to people who are sick, weak, or powerless. And John actually gives us some examples of people who are in attendance. He says that there are blind people, lame people, meaning crippled or paralyzed people. Now, this is important. I want you to, I want you to think about these people in attendance at the Pool of Bethesda in a particular way. I want you to think about them as people who have something broken in their lives. So if someone is blind, their eyes are in a sense broken. They're not working as they should. There were people who were crippled and paralyzed. So in a sense, their legs were broken. They weren't working as they should. So uh, take this idea of these people have something having something broken in their lives and then pair it with the idea that invalid carries the idea of being powerless. And what do we find out about the Pool of Bethesda? We find that the Pool of Bethesda is a gathering place for those who have something broken in their lives and they feel powerless or helpless to do anything about it. Now, before we go any further, I want to make a clarifying statement. If you or anyone you know has a physical disability, I want to make sure that you know that this morning, I in no way am implying that if you have a physical disability, that you can't experience a fulfilling, satisfying, joy-filled life. In actuality, a lot of times, uh, at least what I've witnessed is people with physical disabilities tend to experience more joy, more satisfaction, and more peace than people who have no physical disability. So I am in no way trying to imply that, but what I want you to see is that John right here is trying to paint a picture of a group of people who are missing out on life. Why? Because something is broken in their lives and they feel powerless or helpless to do anything about it. Now, here's the thought that I had while preparing for this talk. The thought that I had was, what if this room right here in Cypress, Texas, what if this room is just like the Pool of Bethesda? 
What if this room right here this morning is a gathering place for men and women who have something broken in their lives and they feel powerless and helpless to do anything about it? Now, you might hear that and say, you're not talking about me. That, that doesn't relate to my life. There's nothing broken in my life. Everything is working as it should. But let me just ask you, if the majority of the decisions that you make are made with the hopes of getting someone else's acceptance or approval. So for example, if the majority of decisions that you make, whether it's what you wear or what you eat or what exactly you do at work, if you make those decisions to earn someone's acceptance or approval, can't we agree that there's something broken about that? Because your life is just now one big audition where you audition before a panel of judges, whether it's your parents or your boss or your spouse or your kids, you're just auditioning every day, all day, before a panel of judges hoping to get their approval. Can't we agree that there's something broken about that? Or if you're just an angry person, like you wake up some mornings and you're angry and you don't even know why you're angry. And when you are angry, you can be explosive and manipulative. Can't we agree that there's something broken there? There's, there's something that's not working as it should. Or, or what about this? If, if the lens through which you see life is a very critical and negative lens, that you look out into the world and all you see is people's flaws, and then you look into the mirror and you hate what you see, you despise your appearance, you go out in public and interact with people and you hate your personality. All you see is your flaws. Can't we agree that there's something broken there? And on the flip side, if all you see is your positives, like you're God's gift to everyone in your life and you're never wrong and it is never your fault, there is something broken there. Something is not working as it should. Or what about this, if you lie or tell half-truths or exaggerate about who you are, what you've done, or what you have, so that people will think that you are more significant than you actually are, there's something broken there. Or if you keep running back to the same things that you don't want to run back to, whether it's alcohol, or pornography, or drugs, or overeating, or overspending, or even cutting yourself, can't we agree there is something broken there? And if something is broken in your life, can't we agree that you are missing out on life? Why? Because you're missing out on the life that you would be experiencing if that which was broken was actually working properly. So just think about it in your own life. What isn't working as it should? What is broken? If you can identify something, then what you, know, you need to know is that is one of the main things that's causing you to go through life and head towards death without actually living along the way. And it is causing you to settle for mediocrity. Now look back at the text. John is now going to zero in on one particular person in attendance at the pool that day. It says this in verse 5. 
It says one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So let me just put this in the language that we're using this morning. John zeroes in on one man who had had something broken in his life for 38 years. For 38 years, his legs had not been working. So here's what we conclude. This man had been missing out on life for 38 years. If, uh, if you want to just feel a little insane, and I know that's not why you came to church this morning, all right? But if you want to feel uh, just a little crazy, then just pause and think, how long have you allowed something to be broken in your life? Several years ago, um, I was working at a church and I left that church feeling really wounded and hurt by these three pastors on staff. And uh, leaving in that hurt birthed anger and bitterness and resentment in my soul towards these men. And what ended up happening was that anger, bitterness, and resentment really ate away at my soul for five years straight. And after five years, I think God just got to the point where uh, being a loving, perfect father, he looked at me, his child, and just said, I refuse for you to miss out on life any longer. I refuse for you to settle for mediocrity. And so God, in his kindness, brought about these reconciling conversations so that there was peace once again in my life towards these men. But as I look back on that period of my life, one thing is absolutely clear. I allowed myself to miss out on life for five years. For five years, I allowed something to be broken in my life. I allowed anger, bitterness, and resentment to just eat away at my soul. And the result was that I missed out on life for five years straight. So just think about it in your own life. How long have you been angry? How long have you been lying or exaggerating about who you are, what you have, what you've done? How long have you been manipulating your diet in an unhealthy way? How long have you been looking at pornography? How long have you been drinking too much? If you can think about it, you might even be able to pinpoint the moment that something broke in your life. And when you do that, it's going to make you feel a little crazy because then you'll realize that's how long I've allowed myself to miss out on life. That's how long I've been settling for mediocrity. I've shared this story before at Community of Faith, but um, when I was in middle school, my cousin took my brother and I to the airport, Dallas Love Field, and it was raining that day, and my cousin, all he had was this janky umbrella that didn't have a handle on the bottom, it was just the metal end. And uh, we, were, we were waiting in the terminal, and my cousin asked me if I had something to write with. And so it's just a freak deal where as I was bending down, looking through my backpack for something to write with, my cousin just threw his umbrella on the ground, and it popped open, and that metal end shot up and hit me in my right eye. And uh, I cried like a little girl. And if that offends you, I cried like a little boy. Either way, there was a lot of tears. And I went into the bathroom and I pulled down my right eyelid and there was this massive red abrasion on my eye. 
And so I had to go to the emergency room, and at the emergency room, they gave me these eye drops, and the best part of it, and by best part, I mean the worst part, is they gave me an eye patch. And I will never forget this eye patch because it was this blue felt, and uh, on top of the blue was this white felt that had a picture of a Dalmatian dog on it. So there I was in middle school walking around with my Dalmatian dog eye patch, basically declaring to the world, please give me a swirly. All right. So that's what was happening there. But after I got rid of the eye patch, what happened from that incident is that I developed what's called an eye floater. And I didn't know that's what it was for a long time. For a while, I just felt like, I I promise you, I just thought that there was a mosquito constantly around me. So I would be sitting there and I'd be like, (laughs) people probably thought I was crazy. Because for the first year after the incident, I was swatting at things. But then I realized, man, there's a black dot that never goes away. And that black dot actually got some friends. And so now, at all times, I see black dots right here. All the time. The world I know is a world with black dots right here. But I've just gotten used to it. Like, I've just gotten used to having bad vision. Anyone want to go driving with me right now? But that's just the world that I know. That's the life that I know. It's just become a part of how I live and how I see the world. And the reason I tell you that is that what I believe happens when we allow something to be broken in our life, our lives long enough is that it just becomes a part of our reality. It just becomes part of the way that we see the world. We believe that this is just the way it is. And so we end up settling for mediocrity. And we even tell ourselves that a mediocre life is actually a life where we are experiencing fullness of life. And so we'll say things like, you know what, I'm just an angry person. I'm just an insecure person. You know what, I just, it's better if I'm able to be in control, have control. This is just the way I am. And that's a lie. You've bought into the lie that your brokenness has to be your permanent reality. Jesus steps into this man's life in John chapter 5 and he interrupts his reality with a question. Listen to what he says in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, here it is, here's the question that's not just for this man but for every single person here in this room. Do you want to be healed? I love this. Just imagine, here's a guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Like, this is his reality. This is the lens through which he sees life. He knows the world through the lens of his paralysis. And that's how people know him. The 
the, his society saw him through the lens of his paralysis. That's what he knew. That's what he believed was his permanent reality. And then in a moment in time, Jesus steps into his scene and asks a question that assumes that the impossible is possible. Can you imagine? Jesus just shows up and says, hey man, do you want to be healed? I wonder if the guy was like, I'm sorry, you're going to need to repeat your question because I could have sworn you asked me if I wanted to be healed. Do you believe that the impossible is possible in your life no matter how long something's been broken, no matter how many times you've tried to fix what's broken in your life? Do you believe that the impossible could be possible in your life? Here's what I love. What I love is that Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed. Jesus doesn't always ask. Like there's times where Jesus just walks up to someone, touches them, and they're healed. There's times where he just walks up and commands a demon to come out, and it comes out. There's times where he spit into his hand, made mud, and rubbed it in someone's eyes. But this time, he asks the man if he wants to be healed. What's the guy going to say? No? Thanks for asking, Jesus. I'm good, but I bet that blind guy would love to talk to you. Is he really going to say no? But I think Jesus' question is a really good question. I, I think it's a question for everyone in this room. Do you, do you, do you really want to be healed? Because here's the reality. If Jesus steps into your life and begins healing that which is broken, things are going to change. Things are going to change. Sin is going to be uprooted from your life. And there's a reason that you've continually run back to the same sin. Because sin is enticing. And sin can satisfy at least temporarily. So if Jesus steps in and begins healing, things will change. And it can be uncomfortable. And it can require something of you. There might be sacrifice involved. So yeah, this is a pretty appropriate question. Do you even want to be healed? Over the years, I've, I've worked with a lot of students, whether it's high school students or college students. And so I've found myself in these counseling settings where I'm talking to a guy or a girl about a dating relationship that they're in. And it becomes very clear early on that, that he or she is in an unhealthy dating relationship and the best thing for them to do is to get out of the dating relationship. And so my counsel to them is to get out. You wanna know why they don't end up taking my advice? Here's what they tell me. And I wonder if anyone in here has ever said this before. I have said this before, but here's what they tell me. I just can't imagine my life without him in it. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying, you know what? I, I understand that this might be an unhealthy relationship. I understand that this relationship might be stealing some life from me. At the same time, here's why I'm scared of getting out of it, because this relationship is giving me some life. At the same time, it's stealing life from me. Now, this relationship might be stealing more life than it's giving, but I fear giving up the relationship because I don't want to give up the, the small amount of life that it does give me. And I wonder if some of us were brutally honest with ourselves this morning in response to Jesus's question, do you want to be healed? Our answer in all honesty is no. No. Because Jesus, I, d I just don't know that I can imagine my life without alcohol in it. What, 
What would my life even be like if I didn't have alcohol to distract me from my problems? I don't know if I can imagine my life without the outlet of pornography. What would it even be like? I don't know that I can imagine my life without this anger, bitterness, and resentment towards that person because if I let go of my anger, bitterness, and resentment, what I'm saying is that he won, she won. I don't know that I can imagine my life without this control. So if we were honest with ourselves in response to Jesus' question, do you want to be healed? Some of us need to just call it what it is. The answer this morning at least would be no. Do you even want to be healed? Look at how this guy responds to Jesus' question. He says this. It says, the sick man answered him, sir... I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Now, what I want you to see is that this man's response is is correct and incorrect at the same exact time. Let me show you why it's an accurate response. It's an accurate response because this man believes that he's going to need the help of other people if he's going to experience healing. Did you see what he said? He said, when the, when the waters are stirred, I have no one to help me get in. So what he's saying is, I realize that it's going to take the help of other people to experience healing. And that is true. I want you to know that God rarely heals people in isolation. God uses his people to bring about healing in the lives of his people. So let me just ask you, With whom in this world are you fully known and fully loved? Do you have a couple of men or a couple of women in your life who who know you inside and out like they are very familiar with your strengths and they can celebrate your strengths yet at the same time they've seen behind the curtain of your life and they're well acquainted with your sinful tendencies and your insecurities and your weaknesses and they love you enough not to tell you what you want to hear but they love you enough to tell you what you need to hear. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. With whom in this world can you be fully known and fully loved? Because here's what I need you to know. The Christian life must always be personal, but never private. God uses his people to heal his people. That's why this man's response to Jesus is correct. It's accurate. But let me show you why his response is incorrect or inaccurate. Did you see what he said? He said, I have no one to help me into the pools. He believed that there was another source for healing besides Jesus Christ. See, there was this superstition surrounding the pool of Bethesda. And the superstition was this. Uh, it was said that every once in a while an angel would come and stir the waters. And any time an angel would stir the waters, uh, the first person into the waters would be healed. See, he believed that there was another source for healing besides Jesus. What I want you to realize is that the root of any brokenness in your life is sin. Sin is at the root of any brokenness in your life. Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever dealt 
successfully with sin. That's what he did on the cross. This is what makes Christianity so unique. Jesus Christ, who wasn't his God, left heaven and came to earth. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived a perfect life. And then he died the death that we each deserve to die. On the cross, he took all of our sin, past, present, and future, upon himself. And he was crushed under the wrath of God for our sin. He was punished in our place. But that's not good news. The good news is on the third day, Jesus walked out of the tomb. And Jesus' resurrection was his demonstration and declaration that sin and death had been conquered for you and for me. See, Jesus Christ is the only one who has dealt satisfactorily with sin. So you know what? I encourage you, go to counseling. I've been to counseling. I will go back to counseling. Counseling is a great thing. You know what? Talk to your friends. God uses his people to bring about healing in his people. But if there is something broken in your life, and at the root of that brokenness is sin. You need to know if you're going to experience any lasting healing, it will have to have everything to do with Jesus Christ, who is healer. So let me just ask you, do you know Jesus? I'm not asking you, do you know about Jesus? I'm asking you, do you know him? Look at how things finish out in this story, verse 8. It says this, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. This is amazing. Just put yourself in this situation. Here's a guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus steps in and all he has to do is say the word. Jesus doesn't have to exert any energy. He doesn't have to get down by the man and say, okay, man, we're going to do this on three. And, and, you know, Jesus risks a hernia trying to lift this guy up. No, there's none of that. All Jesus has to do is say the word. He just says the word and the impossible becomes possible. That's how authoritative Jesus' word is. All he has to do in your life is just say the word. He says, get up. And when those words ring out from Jesus' mouth, a tingling sensation enters this man's toes. And that's new for him. And that tingling sensation spreads throughout the entirety of his foot. And then up through his calves and into his thighs. I don't know if you've ever watched an infant kind of transition from crawling to standing. It's a really shaky moment, you know, where they kind of, you know, they kind of stand up and then you see it in their face when they do it. It's like, this is different. <laughs> like the view up here is very different than the view down there. I don't know what it was like for this guy when Jesus said, get up. I don't know if he just shot up and started doing the Cupid shuffle. I don't know if it was one of those shaky, shaky moments where it's like, man, this is really different than 38 years, but this, this, is, 
this is it. And then came the first step where this moment of courage after Jesus says, get up. And he takes that first step. And as he takes that first step, Jesus, with magnificent force, moves this man towards life. See, that's what Jesus is in the business of doing. He is in the business of moving us towards life. You realize Jesus never steals life from from us. He only moves us towards it. And one of the main ways he does that is by stepping into our lives and healing that which is broken. I have watched Jesus move people towards life by healing them from alcoholism. I've watched Jesus move people towards life by healing them from a pornography addiction. I've watched Jesus move people towards life by healing them from an eating disorder. Jesus Christ has moved me towards life by healing me from my anger, bitterness, and resentment towards these people? What if Jesus Christ wants to move you towards life starting today? Now, I would imagine that there's people here who hear what I'm saying and you already feel defeated because something in you thinks, man, I've wanted to be healed for years. And I've just been struggling with the same thing over and over and over. I keep doing what I don't want to do. I keep running back to the same thing. And so something in you believes that nothing will be different from this day forward. Well, let me just tell you this. You know what? Sometimes in rare moments, Jesus heals how he healed in this story. He heals in an instant. But more often than not, healing is a process. Healing can be a lifelong process. Now, don't be discouraged by what I just said. Some of you hear that it's going to be a lifelong process and you feel defeated. But let me just ask you this. Let's just put it on a scale. Scale, one being no life at all, ten being life to the full. If you're at a three right now, isn't a four better than a three? Isn't a six better than a five? Isn't a little bit more life today than yesterday worth it? Let Jesus step in and move you towards life. And that might require some new steps for you. It might require you to step out of isolation and into community. And this place is a community of faith. This is a great place for you to step in and be fully known and fully loved. But it's going to take you taking a step. But Jesus Christ is in the business of healing that which is broken. What if this morning he wants to move you towards life? William Wallace was right. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. You want to go through life and be someone who doesn't just die, but truly lives along the way? I promise you, it will require you to become well acquainted with Jesus Christ as healer. And it starts with you answering the question that Jesus asked in John chapter 5. Do you want to be healed? Let's pray together.
And just with your eyes closed, let me just say this, and I hope that everyone hears this. If you're, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you've known about Jesus, but you want to truly know Jesus, what I want you to realize is that if things are broken in your life, your life is broken because your relationship with God is broken. And so the response isn't to try and get your life right. No, you can't. Jesus Christ is in the business of healing that which is broken. That's why he left heaven and came to earth and died on a cross and rose from the dead, to bring you back to God. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the best decision that you could make today. And for the rest of us here this morning, let me just ask you, what's your answer to his question? Do you want to be healed? Lord Jesus, we just praise you that you are healer, that you've given us countless examples in the Bible of you healing that which is broken, Lord. I don't know what that means for everyone in this room, I pray that there would be people who have this magnificent change in their life today and you heal them in an instant. But Lord, I also pray that for many, today would just be the beginning of a process, maybe a lifelong process. But the beauty of it is that you're moving us towards life. We need you, Lord Jesus. Come and be healer in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.